women who have survived unthinkable and unspeakable violence behind the closed doors of their own homes are speaking out more than ever before. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the stories and journeys of women survivors turned entrepreneurs and how they use their strength and tenacity to help other women move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Flow Rising. This show contains adult topics and often contains triggering stories. Audience discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Flow Rising. I am your host, Megan, and today I'm very excited to to be joined by Harris. We are going to chat all about healing and life and coaching and all kinds of wonderful things. So, Harris, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. Yes. So I start every episode very much the same, which is let's talk about where you are today. We know that our healing journeys take lots of twists and turns over the years that we go through them, but I love starting with where you are, what it is that you're doing in your life, the kinds of humans that you're serving, um, all the good stuff. So start there with us. Cool. So do you want a backstory or are we just going from... You dive in as you feel, as you feel. We can get to the backstory later. <laughs> I usually start with the kinds of things that you're doing right now, okay. today in your life, okay, and then we'll cool. just kind of go from there. Okay. Well, recently I left the NHS, which is the National Health uh, Service in the UK. So I was working for them for over a year in a coaching role, like just serving members of the public through their GP surgery. You guys might call it a GP's office. Um but yeah, so I was working with people from all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, all different cultures, religions, you name it, like lots and lots of different people. And uh, I, I loved that part of the job, but I am neurodivergent and I'm not built to do 40 hours a week. And I'm actually not massively convinced that many people are built to do 40 hours a week anyway. And um, I've always been really passionate about trauma, really, really passionate because it's it's been my story and so much of what I've learned and, and moved through, I feel so lucky to have been at the receiving end of all of that healing, that help, those resources. And it feels like most people are not that lucky, either because they're stuck in a never-ending medical system that doesn't do what I do, um or or people like me do or because they're not even aware that it exists which again was part of my story as well um we can we can talk about it in a bit but you know i i had ptsd for 20 years close to 20 years and it was really severe and the first time someone said what do you want to do something about that i was like what do you mean i was really confused she was like you can get rid of it and i was like what and you know I at that point I was so desperate I would have I would if you'd have told me to like go out in the rain uh, with no clothes on and scream at at the tree then I would have done it (laughs) Um, you know and it was done I mean we we did some pre-work first me and this this particular um, therapist and then at the end processed the trauma in two sessions and it was gone I've not had a relapse in all these years since and I got quite angry because I was like there's so many people like me I'm one of millions you know and it's purely by I don't know divine intervention or luck whatever you believe um that I 
got to heal like that. And in the 20 years that I've been bouncing around all the traditional therapists, CBT, doctor's offices and stuff, nobody even told me that was possible. They didn't care, they didn't know, and they weren't promoting it. So, you know, it felt to me like, you know, in, in, in the capitalist world in which we live, we, most of us like have to work. Um, so I was like, well, I'd want to do something I'm, I'm passionate about. And this year I started talking about it more and more. Folks started turning up and saying, well, how, how much do you charge? Like, how long do you work with people? And I was like, oh, um, well, and had to throw, throw a web page together. And, and then it just kind of took off. So I was able to leave my job and now I'm helping people in this really like profound way that makes me so happy. I mean, I'm not happy that they're traumatized, but I'm doing work that I'm passionate about and getting to help people who like me have been struggling for too long and sort of within the three months that we work together they leave at the end and they're like oh my god like how this is amazing and you know it's it's such a quick turnaround I think once you've done the, the talking part of your healing and you're ready to actually do something and ready to let it go then it's it's pretty quick really and yeah it's magical and that's why I love what I do and love helping people in that way Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, so much good stuff in what you said there, but it is, it's interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I am 42 now. So I was, it was four years ago, 38, when I woke up one day and was like, <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of screaming at someone actually, <laughs> literally had an aha of something had to change. But like you, I, PTSD, what? I'm not a PTSD. I, I, I didn't go to war. I wasn't in a car accident. No, no, I mean, I don't have PTSD, but not understanding that my life had been that experience that the, the entirety of the sum of my experience to that point had been traumatic and yeah. no one you know and then like you said and I do love that you talk you said there is that talk piece of it there's traditional therapies only get you so far I think they serve their purpose to an extent but as you said they're designed to actually keep you in the system yeah they're designed to not actually create healing to actually you know they're either to pop you on a pill or keep you in the uh you know psychiatrist's office forever yeah but i mean you you see that i mean you know i i think like like i said to you when we first met like i don't want to kind of vilify any individual therapist that that's not the point it's more you know as an industry it's it's very biased that way i mean even if you go i i have enrolled actually at the beginning of this year in a counseling school um i'm paying for it i haven't had the energy to start it yet but i will um but you know i've got loads of friends like a lot of my close friends are in the healing arts some of them are traditional therapists and we talk a lot about this and that even where they train even their training is biased to promote that particular modality. So in the training that you do, in whatever modality you do, the mod like even within that training, you are encouraged over and over again, which also is kind of maybe a bit the same as brainwashing, <laughs> to, yep. to really believe and favor your modality. Even and you know, there's no modality in the world that meets everybody's needs. I I would not be a good uh, long-term counselor or therapist because my I'm I'm built for solutions and helping people get there. Um, 
I think in my own life personally, because I am that personality, uh, how I was born, how I was raised, always highly empathetic. So I've done uh, a huge amount of listening in my life to the people around me who were more interested in uh, talking about their problems than doing anything about it. So I think that my, you know, me, me being a coach is, is very solutions orientated and I'm really good at that. But I'm not I'm not not the say not the right person to sit and listen to somebody talk about their stuff for years on end. Um, if people want a quick turnaround and, and a quick change and to deal with stuff and process their things, then they only need three months with me and they're usually done. So Yeah, that's no, I I love that you're very, you know, honest because that's that's the thing is some people and I do find that people <laughs> you know it in my case, the people who were part of my historic abuse have been in there in and out of therapy for years my mother you know years she was always in therapy but because all she wanted to do was say i'm doing something about it and then there's other people like you say that are ready to heal and they're like no let's take action like i don't want to talk anymore i just want to get down to what it is that is actually gonna affect this for me so i can move forward and integrate my healing and, and keep going in life so. yeah yeah, so I do always, at some point, now now seems the appropriate point in this show, is to, to say, you know, talk a little bit about your own, you know, you said for 20 years you had PTSD, and then, you know, you get to this point and you're like, something has to change. So mm -hmm. what was it for you that was like, you know, okay, here's the things that I have to work through, and I know they have to change, but how did you get, and you know, I, it's, it's kind of that aha, like, moment that mm -hmm. we're like, Oh, oh no, something is wrong. And I hate to say wrong because I don't, you know, want to make anybody like feel like they're, they're in a bad place or that they're wrong for feeling that way. But you know, that, what was that for you, that catalyst? I mean, I think it was just sheer determination. I mean, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a timeline, but I won't, don't worry for, for those listening and, and also for you, I, I won't go into big details. I'll just give you the headlines. Um, at 10 I experienced my first uh, severe assault from a man and it, it was just such a strange I don't know like I didn't know what that was or what that meant and there was nothing I could identify it was such an odd situation that I didn't even know could happen um, that I didn't really understand what it was and nobody talked about it so I just didn't and then within I think by the time I went to secondary school which is the year here that you turned 12 um you know there were more conversations happening at school that I was hearing and I started to hear words like assault and stuff like that and then after a while I was like oh I think that's what that was so it took a couple of years before I started to hear something and think oh I think I have the words now but then I was like well I don't know what I feel about that or that I even, I don't know, like it happened a while ago, you know, 12, two years ago, it was ages. So, um, yeah, and I just didn't know what to make of it. But over time, uh, the more that I was interacting with, like, you know, even my parents, friends and stuff like that, I would look at these men and be like, is this what happens to everybody? Do they Do they do this? like should I expect this I had no idea and 
there was nothing to suggest violence at the time. So I was like, I don't know if the person was being mean to me. I didn't, I, I had no context. So anyway, um, and it wasn't until I was about 14, I met my best friend, and we're still best friends now, over 20 years later. And um, she had some understanding of the issue. And it was the first person I was able to talk openly about it with, where there was no judgment. She had some information. And I was like, oh, okay. So I started to understand it a bit more. And then by the time I was sort of 15, I started dating. Um, it started to feel a bit flash, flashbacky. And, you know, there was sort of times where I was in these situations that I wanted to be in, I elected to be in. And I should add that I'm uh, nearly six foot two and I was five foot 11 at the age of 11. So I was wow, never... Okay. <laughs> I was never um, <laughs> physic too physically intimidated, and I was quite, um, although I'd kind of been conditioned out of it a bit, even, like, even as a toddler, as a kid, if someone got in my space and, and stepped over a line repeatedly and I kept telling them no, I wouldn't hesitate to punch them in the arm or rip something out of their hands. I wasn't, um, you know, and even at that age, it wasn't, I wasn't physical with people usually, but if someone stepped over the line, I didn't think twice about shoving them a bit or just making it plain that I'm saying no. So, you know, when I was a teenager, I don't think I was massively worried about that. I was taller than nearly everybody that I knew my age. Yeah. So, you know, I was in these situations and, and I kept having these feelings that I knew even then. I was like, this isn't from now. This is from that thing before. And um, I went out with... Uh, this guy in my teens for a few years and unfortunately he was my second abuser and yet it was actually him that encouraged me to talk to my parents about what had happened when I was younger so mm. that was one good thing that came out of that situation was that I eventually told my mum I was terrified absolutely terrified of telling her she told my dad uh it took him three days to come and talk to me and the day he did talk to me he'd been at the pub all day he was absolutely wasted and in tears and I felt very guilty for making him cry um and throughout my teens I'd been in and out of counsellors and and to the doctors and talked about depression anxiety and there was just nothing really offered I, I went to I think when I was 15 15 or 16 we were doing mock exams and for one week of these mock exams I was drunk at school for the whole week Wow! and I realized that this was a problem so I went to my head of year at school and mm -hmm. told her and she said you, you need to go to counseling so I was like yeah okay and so you know I worked with this counselor for a while and eventually told her sort of confided in her what happened to me when I was younger she was so excited it was like she was watching a soap opera and it was and the story was getting juicy and yeah. I remember perceiving this and being like you know her she she really sat up in her chair and she was like okay yeah tell me and I was like oh no this the energy of this is terrible <laughs> So I didn't go back after that. Mm -hmm. And 
it was just backwards and forwards to people for years. I, I've tried CBT, I tried group therapy around anxiety. Um, and I knew I had PTSD. I knew that if I saw a, a news headline on Facebook or something, that that could be enough for me to be lock my, lock myself in my car. Like one time I, had, I locked myself in my car in a, a supermarket uh, car park in the middle of the day, completely triggered. Uh, besides myself, absolutely beside myself. And uh, it took quite a long time for, to physically come down from that. And I, I don't know, you know, if other people relate, but I think when your trauma is triggered that badly, it can take days, maybe even weeks. There's often like a depressive period afterwards and you can't sleep or eat the same as you normally would. And it's it was really tough. And I just, I don't know, I just kept asking. I think every time I would go, like I just kept asking. And there were times in there, particularly my mid to late teens, where um, I thought very seriously about ending my life and uh, luckily got interrupted every time. So, um, yeah. Uh, the universe had something else different for you. Yeah, the universe was like, oh, don't, don't worry, it'll get better eventually. So, um <laughs> So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm glad I hung around. I mean, by the third time that I got interrupted, um, yeah. I was taken to accident and emergency, which is the same as your emergency room. And yeah, um, yeah. I got shoved in this grey room. I think I was quite dissociated. I don't remember a huge amount, but I was in this grey mm. room with people in white coats and I, I wasn't even looking at their faces. I was kind of staring off into space and yeah. they were like, you know, we have to decide whether to, to section you or not and stuff. And I was like, listen, guys, I've been asking for help for years. Okay. I've been asking and asking and asking. And at that point, I was 19. I said, I'm 19. I've been asking for help for so many years. I've told so many people about what's wrong. And all that all I'm ever invited to do if I'm lucky is to talk about it I don't need to talk about it I need someone to help me to get over this and fix this and make me better I don't want this anymore and they were like huh so you're saying counseling doesn't work for you I was like well no no I've told you I've told you that like 20 times um and I think that time they sent me to a psychiatrist for six weeks yeah. She was the only one to talk to me. She didn't even use the word boundary, but she talked about some of the things I was anxious about, particularly with my dad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And how I shouldn't, like, how he reacts wasn't my responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I guess. But it was complete, yeah. it was completely inappropriate um, kind of advice because if you're in a survival situation your trauma and your your hiding or your coping skills are there to protect you and if there's if those survival um coping strategies are still still relevant and still in use it's really important that you continue to use them so you survive the situation you can't just yeah. magically i wasn't safe in that situation really and yes, it was probably only ever going to amount to emotional uh, and abuse. But sometimes that can be the worst kind. Oh, <laughs> emotional abuse, actually, to, from my personal experiences, is 
actually far more damaging than the physical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it it kind of it it does something to your brain. I think it makes you it makes it so much more difficult to navigate social situations with other human beings like mm -hmm. any with anything. You know. Anything. Yep. If if somebody's yep. violent or kind of, you know, wants something from you that you don't want to give, then you know that that's what they do. That's them. And yeah. it's them and, and they're just an opportunist or, or they're, they're mm -hmm. just taking out their feelings. But I think when it's emotional abuse, it starts to change your brain of how you relate to mm -hmm. others and how you speak to them. Like it, it, it messes up your, your ability to connect to other people, even really good people. It, oh, I think that's been one of the most challenging things for me is being <laughs> not being in the abusive situation, being in the safe situation. Mm. I, I really resonated when you talked about locking yourself in, in your car. Um, when I first met my husband a couple of years ago, um, actually the very first time that I really started open and we'd been dating for a couple of months and I really started opening up and just being like, okay, I feel like you're the safe human and I'm going to start telling you about my past and start telling you. And for the first time I actually talked about it there's a lot of you know memory blockage that i have personally like you said the gray room and like I, there's so much i don't remember but i would tell him certain things mm. and the first time he goes and he did he looked at me and he went you're safe and i love you and i am so sad that you had to go through those experiences to get here and i just i mean everything about me and and you hear those words now and i'm like oh what a beautiful human and this is why i married him this is why but at the time same experience you had with that with locking yourself in the car i was sitting on the couch and i absolutely i lost all my words my body wouldn't move i was literally frozen and it and he, he didn't know at the time like it, it took me like three days to tell him so when you said those things i actually went to hard trauma trigger and then that's why I've been like wonky and wacky and weird for three days. And so it is, if it's that thing that it's interesting that when you actually start trying to heal or successfully taking steps to heal, and then those traumas happen, that, that trauma trigger happens that, and, and you are, you are not wrong. I, all my research has told us that you're literally, whether you're physically going through it again, you, your brain is there. Like, Yep. This isn't safe, so we're going to just go do the thing. And I am totally in a very similar situation where, that, where you were when you got to that healing state where it's like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't, like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to rehash that anymore. Mm. I just want to move forward from it. So I am curious as to what it was for you that was like that okay, so I'm ready to take action. And, and I know that it's different for everybody, you know, as to what that actually looks like, but what was it for you that was like, you know, I'm ready to take action. And then you met, it sounds like a therapist or a coach or who was it that actually worked with you to help you? Through yeah, it, it was, it was a therapist, but she, her, like her, her background is trauma as well. In fact, I, I've interviewed her on, on my own podcast before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, her background is trauma. And so she's done loads of extra training loads and yep. loads like um I actually went back a second time for complex PTSD after she had yep. done her master's in traumatology so she's mm -hmm. like it's 
I was very lucky. Like there aren't many people in the world who are trained in what she's trained in. Um, but I think I don't know that there was ever a point where I really overly identified with my trauma or that I was still I still needed it in that sense. I think it was such a the first instance was such a random chance thing that I don't know I kind of I don't really I was never like worried that it would happen again and then by the time it happened for, mm. by the third man in my 20s it took me days to accept it but it was the most textbook experience where um, there was no denying about his yeah, intentions and and yeah. you know violence and everything else and i i it took me days because i was like surely this hasn't happened again surely not mm. and it took me days and eventually i was like no it did and in fact i remember i went to my my gps and they were bloody useless <laughs> and i said to them i said listen i said you know i have a history of this when i was young but this has happened yeah. to me again as an adult i'm you know i was 26 and this has happened to me again as an adult i said i feel i feel that there's something and again i i'm i'm not applying this to anybody else's situation just just to no. me and i said listen I, there's something that's happening within me that is kind of contributing to this problem and I can't put my finger on it and I'm not blaming myself it wasn't my responsibility but what I'm trying to say is that there's there's something here and I can't I don't know I don't have the words to say but there's something here that's within me that is contributing to to this and I can't I don't and they were like well we can we can send you to have cbt or counseling and stuff and i was like oh bloody hell and and the um yeah. the doctor said you really must report this to the police i was like, why so i can be re-triggered over and over again i said i know me i said i know i said first yeah. of all the chances of me having a case in the first place is second to none like it's yeah and i said and even if i did go for it it'd be at least a year of my life of having to relive this and I know for a fact because this isn't my first rodeo that I will I will heal from this overall like way quicker than that way quicker than that I, and actually it's not in my best interest for me and she said well if it happens if he does this to somebody else how are you going to feel I said I'll feel very sad for them but it's his his behavior is not my responsibility and you can't put the pressure that pressure on me as a victim like and our system's not set like you know it's unlikely it would do any good anyway you're likely to just like traumatize me more and yeah. he's unlikely to face any consequences so w what is it you're trying to achieve here it's just like well there's always a chance to see yeah but it's not I i'm more important than that actually and i argued wow. with her despite what i'd been through i argued with her yeah. and um in retrospect what i was describing was complex ptsd i was describing codependency i was describing my fear of putting a boundary in and saying no or doing anything was more severe than the fear of what hap could happen and did happen absolutely yeah
Absolutely. Oh yeah. No, that's and I love how you just put that because that is I, I go through this all, all the time. Yeah. My fear of asking for what I need is greater than not getting it. Not being met, being told no, not getting it. My my fear of yeah, I can. Uh, oh, it's it's been almost eighteen months now, but I've I my first abuser was my mother, and I finally decided I'm done. And I actually typed a, an email, and I was like, no contact. I actually used the term no contact. You leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with you. Of course, she hasn't respected that, but that's beside the point. But putting up that heart, like. I didn't want to send it. And if I hadn't had my husband sitting there, like he literally reached over the keyboard and went. And I was like, and he's like, breathe. But again, that, that fear of actually saying no is harder and it's hardwired from us. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, you know, and my childhood trauma was not nearly as violent as yours. But it's still that when we're young and when we get, and it happens so young that it just, there is, there's something that wires us to go, mm, me staying safe is more important than, than yeah. getting in trouble than, than, than any of that. Like I never, for 18 years, I lived with a man that beat me and yeah. I never called him. Oh, no once, no once. Because of what you just said. <laughs> he never would have had any consequences. He would have ended up right back in my home because I knew I wasn't ready to leave. And, and that would have been worse. Mm-hmm. That would have been way worse. Yeah. You know, and it, the likelihood of him having any consequences from that would have been so slim. Yeah. Yeah. Slim. Hardly anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I got back, um, the, the last incident that I was, I was talking about was uh, in a hotel and I got dropped off. He dropped me off to my house the following morning. And I remember as my foot touched the gravel on the front drive, I was I was like, I made it, I'm alive. And that was the bottom line. That was the bottom line, you know, and it's taken quite a lot of healing for me to look back and say, thank goodness I had those survival techniques. Because actually, I don't know what would have happened. Like I'm alive and I'm alive to in order to heal. And actually, had I not recognized that or dealt with it differently, I don't know how it, how it would have panned out. Yeah. Yeah. They, those, those survival mechanisms serve their purpose. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, and I think that's what I, we talk about a lot on the show is that it's not, you know, they, they served past tense, but until we actually are ready to actually take, and it is massive action. Although sometimes the massive action is not as hard as we think it is. <laughs> it, it's massive action in the, in the fact that it's something we've never done before. Mm. But it's also like, you know, because otherwise we're literally doomed to repeat the cycle. Like I can remember meeting my husband and sitting there on our first few dates, just trying to find the narcissistic abuser that's yes. like, okay, it's in there. It's, it's in there. I've, you know, I've I've been trying to date for a few years. It's in there. Where is it? And I couldn't find it. And I couldn't find it. And I couldn't. And even now that we're married and it's been a couple of years and I'm still, you know, okay, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. And he'll know when I get in a state and he's like, here, go ahead, go through the phone. And I'm like, what? He's like, I know, go, go for it. And I'm like, but 
the hatchet, hatchet. He's like, you're, you're there. And he's like, no, I'm not doing anything. It's okay. And I, and finally, I'm literally just a couple years into it and just getting to that state where I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm done talking about it. I am so ready to just, mm. and it's interesting how you make that, it's that choice moment that you're like, I'm ready to actually take that action. And I'm sure that's where a lot of your clients come to you where they're yeah. just like, I'm done. Like uh, this isn't working anymore. Something, something else. Yeah, definitely. So I'm sure that that's how it show up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I dated somebody last year and it didn't work out. He didn't put his best foot forward a couple of times. So I called it quits, but you know, generally speaking, he was a nice guy or nice enough. He was harmless. I was definitely safe, you know. Um, and I I had said, you know, let, let's keep it casual. Like, I, you know, I'm not really, I can't, I, I was like, I can't even really remember why I would want a relationship. What, what do people want those for again? <laughs> And um, sure. there's a part in recovering from codependency, which is often a um, kind of side effect of, of complex PTSD. Uh, but there's a part in the healing where you go in through a counter-dependency phase, which looks a little bit like avoidance, but it's not. It's not. It's not that you can't attach. It's that you sort of go, maybe it'd be safer not to. It's more of a sort of subconscious mm -hmm. temporary choice. It's not that you can't attach. Yep. So I went through that phase. I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't really, you know, may, maybe if I just had like a friend with benefits once in a while and my friends and my work and that would be fine. And then, you know, we were friends first and then kind of one thing led to another and we were seeing each other. But I thought, like, oh, you know, it's just casual. And by the time it had been about six months, um, <clears throat> He then was like, you know, I really do actually want a relationship. And I was like, well, it's funny because I kind of have been thinking about it. I started looking at him differently and I was like, oh, no. Oh, it's happened. Oh, no. And people were like, oh, isn't this? Oh, no. Like, oh, no. And then people were like, oh, isn't this lovely? This is such lovely news. I was like, shut up. What do you mean? They're like, oh, <laughs> no, it is funny, though. And they, they were like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I just disgusting isn't it like <laughs> they were like aren't you happy I was like oh yes oh it's revolting like oh I, I've, I've forgotten about this but the fact that I was feeling this again and with somebody that I didn't feel in any, any way threatened by that was ultimately a fairly safe person if not a little immature but you know he was he was safe and I was like oh um and getting used to being safe with somebody that I had feelings for was the weirdest thing in the world. My brain was like, what is this? This is so, this feels horrendous, like so unfamiliar. <clears throat> and it took me weeks before I could settle down enough to be like, okay, okay, I think this is okay. I think it's all right. I think I can get used to this. Um. And the same thing happened, interestingly. Again, I think this is this is uh, another thing of complex PTSD. I think if you're from a home where the only feedback you get is criticism, 
it's very difficult to uh, enjoy things and celebrate your successes and all of that kind of thing. So in 20, oh, I'm going to get it wrong now, 20, 21, I think. Things ago. Yeah, it was either during or just after the, the sort of main part of the pandemic. Anyway, mm-hmm. I co-authored a book and I was literally just doing it to support a foundation. I didn't, I didn't, you know, make any money out of it. Yeah. On me, but I had, I, I actually, you know, put some, put some money forward or a friend sponsored me and I sort of paid her back because yeah. I was poor, poor at the time. But, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it was just a community thing that I wanted to do for a foundation that supports um, queer youth and and sort of educating, advocating for them and particularly around, um, you know, know, helping them with housing and uh, mental health and preventing suicides, things like that. So, you know, it was was a cause close to my heart and I just thought I was just doing a good thing. And then in the pre-sales alone, which started a month before it actually got released, it hit like five bestseller lists in the top five, I think. And then off the back of that, because it was the first book to, oh, I can't remember the actual details, but basically um, because of the success of it and the fact that there was no no queer business book on the market ever in history before ours, mm-hmm. um, off the back of that they were talking about introducing new national categories in the US I was the only British writer the others were I think Canadian American and Mexican possibly don't quote me on that um but yeah they were talking about and then there was a petition for the Library of Congress all this stuff happened Mm -hmm. and it was what every day that I woke up I was getting more messages or, or throughout the day more messages like this has just happened we're on this thing now there's a petition to the Library of Congress like all these different things were happening and I had to take a week off I felt so violently um, uncomfortable yeah. that I was like I'm and people around me were celebrating and I was like I I had a meltdown I, I was like this is so much good I don't actually know how to handle that I've never had this before and um, now I can enjoy it and feel really good about it but the rewiring that has to go on for trauma survivors is such a big thing and I think that's part of what happens after you've healed from some of it I think you know it's not linear it's not like you do the whole lot in talking (laughs) the whole lot in processing it and then the whole lot afterwards and sort of growing you do lots of little bits all over the place um but it's a good sign I, I think in my experience it's a sign that you're that particular thing that you've healed you're sort of towards the end by the time you're uncomfortable and experiencing something good that's often when you're sort of near the end of that part so yeah and I think that's huge for you to mention because that's you know a lot of people don't understand that piece of the healing process one, it's not linear. We say that a lot on this show, but that there's that point where you're like, okay, a normal person would be happy right now and be celebrating and be doing all the things that I'm watching the other people doing. And I am sitting in my room, shut down, crying, can't deal with it. What is wrong with me? Oh my gosh. And I've actually learned when that happens, when the, I know I, I, I 
I mentally know I sh should, and I don't like that word, but that I could feel something different and I'm feeling this. I kind of lean into that and go, okay, it, it may take days. It used to take months. Now it takes days, hours, whatever it takes. And then go, there's going to be a time when I can experience that emotion about this situation. And right now, this is the sign that my body's saying that rewiring is physically uncomfortable. Mm. But that's actually, like you said, that is actual. That's what growth feels like. That is what healing feels like. It's that massively uncomfortable space where you're like, and almost, it almost feels like the trauma space. But then you're like, it just has something different about it. that's not quite that. Yeah. But it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, Holy 100%. Uncomfortable. For all those people who, that I've met who have not been ready to deal with their trauma, I'm like, I don't blame you. <laughs> I really don't blame you because it's not a small undertaking. I think once you start the ball rolling, there is no escaping it. I think I went through, you know, I, I am fairly, fairly spiritual person. And sort of 10 years ago is when my, my uh, kind of quote unquote awakening started, if, if you call it that. Mm -hmm. um, I was 25, I'd gone for my first uh, smear test, pap smear, and it came back, they found a, a little bit of early early cancer. And so I just, I woke up. And I think the first two years, it was like my software was being upgraded, my brain, my body, mm -hmm. my soul, everything, like constantly, every second of every day for the first two years. And I remember I went to go and see a friend um, who's also very spiritual and he'd been present for all of this stuff that, that had happened for me. Mm -hmm. And I walked into his house one day and he looked at me, he said, don't worry, it does slow down. And I hadn't said anything. <laughs> oh, but he, he just knew. I was like, I was like, this is insane. This is, I said, I feel like whatever's happening to me, even when I'm sat still saying and doing nothing, I feel like part of me is racing a thousand miles an hour like every moment of, of the day and he was like yeah it, it, it is going to feel like that it's like you're on a, the fa a fast like a runaway train and it just goes and goes but he said it will slow down and I was like okay yeah that's that is the that is an amazing way to come to the end of because we're coming to the end of our time but it is true I think that's the biggest blessing that I get from talking to people who are in all phases of their journey for healing from whatever trauma it was, is that what you're going through right now is normal. It's a really good sign. And yes, it does slow down because <laughs> <laughs> I keep, I, Oh man, there have been times and, and recent, because again, I'm, I'm fairly new. I I'm only a couple of years into my own personal healing. Uh, this may have been a month ago and it's the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep and I got up and I'm literally sitting on my back porch and I'm I was screaming I probably shouldn't have been I'm sure I woke the neighbors but I was like just make it stop <laughs> because it does it's that feeling of it's just like it goes and goes and goes and, it, and there is an end and it does stop we don't stay there forever so yeah that is, that is a very good piece of advice to go it does stop there is an end there is a way you know that actually yeah like you said that, that you don't have to be in that all of the time yeah that it does actually get better it does move forward yeah so one thing i ask the uh every one of my guests at the very end if someone is listening or watching this episode and they really would love to get connected to you 
what is a good way for people to connect with you right now? So if you go to my website, which is Mux Harris Hill, which is spelt M X Harris Hill, double R double L dot com. Um, you can contact me through there. It's got my website. And if you want to find me on social media, it's all at Mux Harris Hill. So I'm on all of the things. So people are welcome to, to message and email and whatever. And uh, I've got some free resources and other bits. Um, if you're an audiobook junkie like I am, um, I've got a short um, audiobook list for survivors of childhood trauma. And they're the four one. If you listen for an hour a day, you're done in a month. And not that you have to go that fast, but it's it's a short curriculum. And I really I really, really recommend it for all people who are um healing from particularly childhood trauma, but just relate in interrelational human to human trauma generally. Yeah. It's it's all all four ones I've picked out are absolutely amazing and I think um can help you to navigate what what does healthy look like because you might you know most of us know that we're not having a great time and that we need to change but actually we don't have a framework or what does this look or feel like so those books will help you to kind of put it all into context and start building a picture of where you're going that's a great resource i love that so for the audience who's watching or listening that link any of the links that you tap down below get straight uh, connected to harris Harris, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing your story, sharing your energy with uh, myself and the audience. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been lovely. Yes. To the audience who joined us today, thank you. And as always, I'm wishing you peace, love, and flow, and may your flow be ever rising. Until next time. Mm -hmm.